Hello, Conversations with Dwyer listeners. If you are enjoying the podcast, but you want a little bit more, you can become a Patreon subscriber. And for $5 a month, you can get bonus content, bonus episodes, and a podcast that I create solely for Patreon, where I talk to comedians about the music that they like. And you get a pin that was created by Charlene Yee of the, the, the Conversations with Dwyer logo. So please, become a Patreon subscriber. The link is in my show notes under All Things Dwyer, or you can just go to themattdwyer.com. Thank you, and enjoy this episode of Conversations with Dwyer. Crystal Welcome to Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast. And speaking of music, that song that played me in is called Crystal Bullets. It is from a 12-inch that is coming out by White Denim on July 23rd. And yes, that means my guest today is James Petrelli of White Denim, uh, who, I'm flattered to say, listens to my podcast. And he started following me on Instagram maybe a year ago. And I wanted to get around to asking him to do it. And I don't know, I weirdly like stalled and was hesitant and thinking he would say no for no reason. Just the own the craziness that lives in my head. No logic to any of it. But that's what it is to be me, Matt Dwyer. There is very little logic. Anyway, he exuberantly said yes. We had a great conversation. There's a bunch of it that lives on Patreon, so if you're a Patreon subscriber, you can listen to an additional 40 minutes, I believe. And you can go to themattdwyer.com, and that'll link you to all things. You can also, on themattdwyer.com, you can see old episodes, so it's easy to find old episodes if you want to listen to those. And I've had a lot of great guests, Wayne Coyne from the uh, Flaming Lips, Wayne Kramer from the MC5, David Yao. I recently had Mark Arm from Mud Honey. Uh, and a bunch of uh, new artists as well, because I just listed <laughs> a lot of older artists. But there's a bunch of, I've, I have, my library is new artists, like Mets. I've had the Mets, they've been around for a while. I can't think of, why am I, I can't think of any of the new people I had. Lex Leosis, who is a, a, a Toronto rapper, she was on. She's great, check her out, by the way. Anyway, all things uh, white denim are in the show notes, as well as all things Matt Dwyer. So you could go there. You could ju- look at our Instagram. You could buy our stuff. I should have merch coming out very, very soon. And I hope you buy a T-shirt or a bathrobe or whatever the hell I have up there. Anyway, enjoy this conversation with James Petrelli. Uh, and did I say Crystal Bullets? That's the song and the name of the 12-inch that played me in. Anyway, James Petrelli. White Denim, enjoy the show. Crystal Did you grow up in Austin, Texas? No, I uh, I, I was born in Sacramento. Oh. Um, uh, and, and I moved to Arlington, Texas. My dad was a baseball player. Really? So, uh, yeah, when he got a contract... Uh, he he went to uh, we went moved to Arlington so he could play on the Rangers. God damn! I did not see that in any. I've read a number of articles about you and I didn't see that once. Isn't that weird? Yeah, you know, it's I I find it interesting actually. I feel like I'm I'm 40 years old now, and every publicist on every record is like, "Can we run with the baseball thing?" <laughs> I'm like, it's kind of embarrassing <laughs> to be a. 
40 year old man. And that's the most interesting thing that, that we have to talk about is my, my dad's career is, you know, he was a, he was a great player, but um, he, you know, he wasn't like a, a everyday player, like a marquee kind of guy. He was like workhorse utility guy, you know? Yeah. That, well, that's good. I mean, I, so nobody's heard of him outside of, outside of Arlington, but publicists insist. Uh, yeah. Are you a base? Did that make you a baseball fan or? I was really into, I'm not, I don't really watch the sport, but I was really into the game. And I, I played until uh, my senior year, I got kicked off of my baseball team uh, for liking rock and roll a little too much. Was that, did you, was there a part of that, like I'm um, going after baseball because it's the dad th- thing? I, I don't know. Like, yeah, absolutely. Um, my grandfather was on the Washington senators and, Jesus. um, yeah. So it was like, I have like a baseball family. Um, so it was kind of all, yeah, that was, that was, that was definitely being groomed for that, you know, like, <laughs> do you think going to the family business? Yeah. Yeah. My brother played for a little while too. So, you know, we had three generations of, of pros. Um, I can't get my kids to play catch at all. So I, I think it might, uh, like not even throw the ball around the yard. I think it might end there. Are, um, are they creative? Are they creatively interested? Yes. Like, yeah. Um, and my daughter really likes to paint um, and they both like to sing and, and, you know, where they're, they're surrounded by instruments. So they, they, you know, bop on whatever's hanging around, but um, do you have one that's really oh, steady? Steady. Yeah. You have one that's yeah. five, right? Yeah, one that's five uh, and uh, one that's nine. Uh, yeah, we have f- a five-year-old and a one-year-old, both girls. Are th- you both yeah. girls? Uh, my oldest is a girl. Yeah, and yeah, my five-year-old is uh, a boy. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, yeah, because I I was I like got into baseball later in life. Like I think because quite honestly, like the jocks kicked the shit out of me all the time. So that yeah. like detoured base but though the cubs were always on like at home so there was that like comfort of the sound of a game but i didn't get into baseball until like later in life and then the cubs owners are such shit bags i was like all right i gotta i can't i can't follow yeah. this anymore <laughs> what a stadium though i mean i grew up wanting to like that was the, the i wanted to go to wrigley you know um but the rangers were the in the american league um, and my, my dad was really close with, uh, with a third baseman that, that played on the Cubs. His name was Steve Bouchelle. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> like when, when he went to the Cubs, I, I was just like, God, why can't we go to the Cubs? You know, I just want to <laughs> hang, hang out at Rick. You know, it was like the coolest, coolest looking stadium, you know, but I, I never, I've been across, I've played Metro a few times. Um, so I, but I've still never seen a game at Wrigley. Really? Yeah. The dude who runs the season tickets there is a huge music fan. I should, really? Yeah, maybe I'll try to. Because he, man, I would love to go. Um, I love Chicago. I know I have, I've listened to your podcast quite a bit. I know you always talk about it. I don't want to, you know, go back into that thing unless you love it. But before we had kids, we used to go on jazz vacations to Chicago all the time to see jazz. Uh, yeah, yeah. Was your dad yeah. a jazz guy? No, this is like uh post uh post this is when I was into music and my wife and I were together, you know, in the years before we before we had kids. So um I was already kind of out of the baseball thing. Um I kind of traded uh baseball fandom for jazz fandom. 
where did because I'm a huge jazz fellow as well, and I used to. Who where where did what brought you into jazz, and like uh, who were the first guys? Basically, that, the the Thrill Jockey record label. Oh, you wow. know, like um, I got um, Isotope Two Seventeen uh, record that like their first record, the Unstable Molecule. And the, you know, the Sam Precop records, basically like the light, late 90s jazz-leaning stuff on Thrill Jockey oh, so, um, really got me into it. So you weren't doing the classic, like, I like Miles Davis and then Brent. I was. You know, I was, I was um, by the time I was like 14 or 15, I got, got really into like, you know, beat poetry. And, you know, I, my first job was at a coffee shop is probably like because of So I Married an Axe Murderer or something, really. When I was 12, I was like, okay, like, <laughs> this is what I like. This is, this is who I'm going to become. So I, you know, like I had, uh, I pretended to, I, I didn't, I didn't actually start to like Sun Ra until I was like 20, but I had, I had a few records and, uh, Monk and, you know, like free jazz by Ornette Coleman and, and, uh, all those kind of things. I knew it was cool and I knew I was supposed to like it. So, um, yeah, I kind of set out to develop a taste in it. Um, <laughs> uh, when I was, you know, learning to drive kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. But the stuff that, that was really that I really connected with was like the thrill jockey stuff. That's wild. I didn't. That's a first. I don't even know if I'm that. Like I listened to. Do you know Ken Vandermark, who was a Chicago jazz? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've talked about him before, but like we used to go see him at a coffee shop before he got like the MacArthur Genius Award, and it was we'd pay like five bucks, bring a twelve pack because we were twenty only in Chicago. Right. Like, I mean, yeah, I, I went to the last time I went on one of those jazz vacations, I went to see Jeff Parker at Andy's, which is kind of, you know, like it's a, it's a little bit of a corny club. Um, but I talked to Jeff after the set and and he sent me to um, this place called Heaven Gallery. I don't um, know that one. I know Constellation. They do a lot of like they do a lot of yeah. like balls out, just fucking improvising. Yeah, that's that's kind of what was happening over at, at Heaven. I saw this guy, Frank Rosalie. Um, that's just incredible. Still, still, I mean, maybe the, the most incredible solo performance I've ever seen. Um, drummer insane, but yeah, tons of, tons of experiences like that in Chicago. Yeah. I'm actually, Parker's going to be on, I'm going to interview him next week, actually. Oh, you are? Yeah. Cool. It's wild. Cause like tortoise, it was like infamous that tortoise bartended all bartended at, I think it was tortoise. Maybe it was Yola Tango. Maybe I'm getting confused, but there was a bar in Wicker Park that, they all like that's how they made their money when they weren't touring or whatever but yeah. i didn't know what any of them looked like so i was like i don't know if they're bartending on me or not <laughs> yeah i mean jeff's jeff's incredible man i still i still keep up with everything he does yeah he, he and steve gunner about to get a tour together two killers man oh they they're going out together yeah are they playing together is it just uh it's a dual headline but i would be shocked if they i don't know Wow. I wonder if Jeff is still playing with, or if he's still touring with that Chad Taylor guy. Um, I'll have to find out. I wonder who his rhythm section is. Is how is the, is there a decent jazz scene in Austin? Um, it's getting better. It's getting better. You know, like, uh, people don't really have a, uh, a, in central Texas, it's less intense than in Fort Worth, like the DFW area is right around North Texas, which is a, a really great music school. Like it's produced tons of 
fantastic musicians. Um, so there's a, there's a really high concentration of insanely talented people, um, coming out of DFW and, and Houston kind of the, the magnet school there produces a lot of great players. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not so crazy in Austin, but it's, it's gotten a lot better over the last 10 years for sure. What around what time did you move to Austin? I moved here in 04. 04. Has, mm-hmm. It's changed like insanely, right? Since then I've never yeah. been, I'm I dying mean, to go. Two years. Like it's completely different. Yeah. It's wild, man. Are the locals like fuck Elon Musk and Joe Rogan for moving here? <laughs> Just cause it like, it's like, you know, when somebody new every year, you know, like, but yeah, I think this year, those are the, those are the hot, hot, who's <laughs> moving, who's moving to Austin and why it sucks. Yeah. I don't know. I'm okay with it. <laughs> you know, they're building, uh, Rogan's building like a comedy club, which I think that the two big ones here are, you know, got, got swallowed up in the pandemic and, um, so, you know, like that, hopefully that's good, right? Yeah, that's good like, for the local scene. I mean, yeah. at least he's contributing. He's not just coming there and being like, I'm going to take. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't really have too much of an opinion on it. <laughs> I, I, yeah. You know, change. either, we gotta either, go into either this. of those guys, <laughs> I rode in a Tesla recently for the first time and, um, what a car. It's crazy. <laughs> a friend of mine has one and it was like, there's, it's like, you do feel like you're in a spaceship. Yeah. And to what pickup? I don't think I've ever, I, I'm, yeah, it's terrifying, kind of. <laughs> the guy that was driving started going really fast in a very short period of time um, just to kind of share the, the Tesla power with me. Well, you got to show uh, off your car when you get a, when you're, when you're, I got a Kia, so there's no showing off. Which, uh, what model Kia do you have? A Nero. Yeah. My, my first hybrid. That's cool. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> did you did you end up studying jazz at all did you go in- no man i didn't study anything a college for me was like uh i was an english major um and i didn't start playing until uh really right before college like the summer before i left for college was i i made friends with a couple of really creative musicians um and all that you know posturing and studying and like having bags of weed kind of made me cool enough to, to be around. Um, so I, I kind of, I went away to school after I met those guys and my goal was to like, um, get good enough to play with them. So I spent four years in this town called Nacogdoches, um, in the middle of East Texas, a really small kind of awful place, but beautiful. Um, and all I did was practice and bail out of college multiple times. And uh, I moved to Austin and, uh, <laughs> and started a punk band, you know, for, so I think yeah, so. the most of my, most of my study is, has really kind of come from just trying to be around people that know what they're doing. Uh, I feel like some of the better creative people are the ones who fail out of college. Yeah. I mean, I just, well, I like, I like, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like and I'm not patting myself on the back because I'm definitely not going to say I'm a smart guy, but it's just like certain people, the way they teach, it just doesn't like high school. I was just like, you're boring the fuck out of me, man. Yeah. And I like learning, but I'm like, not by that. I don't know. Like tests and all that. I, I just freeze. 
Me too, man. Me too. I, I really liked, I, I went to Catholic school for like the last part of, uh, I'm going to try and track down my coffee here. It's early there. You're, you're doing these things at 8 a.m., huh? I usually, is that normal for you? No, usually I do 10 a.m. my time, but I get up at four or five because if you I do, God, that's great. I, I can't, once the kids are up, I'm fucked. My day is fucked. Yeah. Unless I'm, I mean, it's, it's the same for me, but I'm, you know, I'm two hours two hours later than you and still kind of frazzled. I'm looking at myself up in that box. Oh shit. There's a video component to this. <laughs> James, you're, you're handsome. You're a handsome man. There's a reason you're in a rock band and I'm not. <laughs> I bet. Um, yeah, I went to, I went to Catholic school and really enjoyed, um, like religious study, you know, at my school we did, you know, uh, there was like an hour of Catholicism every day. And then like each semester we kind of traded world religions, um, and studied some philosophers and things like that. So I, I enjoyed that and reading, but everything else was, uh, a chore for sure in school. I don't know if this is like a broad or dumb, but it seems like creative folk, especially music and writers tend to get interested in different philosophy and religion. Do, what, what, do you have any idea why that appealed to you or why that may be? I think that I, um, I wanted to be, I, I know for me that I just, I wanted to be different and, uh, like perceived as different. It's kind of embarrassing to, to admit. I was, I was thinking about this last night cause I've listened to your podcast. It's like, how much do, how honest should I be? <laughs> cause there, like I've listened to a few. I'm like, these guys are like genuinely interesting, you know, like, uh, so anyway, I'm going to be completely honest. It's like, I, I wanted to be perceived as different, you know, and that kind of led to, um, just having, interests and, and things that were not, you know, I, I, it was cool. I thought it was cool to say like, Oh, I'm a Buddhist this year, uh, at the Catholic school, you know, like, uh, so that was kind of, how, you know, it's just this kind of, uh, wanting to be, um, yeah, but kind of like you're, you are, don't you think that to some degree you were like, searching for your identity like you probably i don't know i'm not like to project but like you knew you didn't want to be in that world so maybe you were i don't know like as me as that's definitely that's definitely in there (laughs) but the first thought you know like that grows after the first thought of like how can i stand out (laughs) like like the genuine like the you know the dedication to uh the pursuit definitely followed the you know the social flex or whatever that that is you know yeah i just like i as a kid is like i knew i didn't want to like i grew up in a pretty close-minded you know kind of white trash world and i all i knew is i don't want to be you fucking people i don't want that same and i think i became like pseudo pretentious i don't even probably didn't know what the fucking word was then but and i was started meeting people who were reading like Eastern philosophy and stuff. So I was like, Oh, and like, yeah, it made me different. Cause I didn't want to be some fucking racist piece of shit. <laughs> it was the same for me. You know, I, I grew up in a, in a locker room essentially, you know, like with adult, you know, like man children. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I think that it probably started like, you know, just kind of seeing a lot of things in that as I, I was a bad boy. Um, like when I was way too young to be a bad boy, 
So I was really into the, to the Rangers team kind of culture and all that kind of stuff. And I, I think that, you know, being 10, 11, 12, like certain things happened and inside of my family that probably kicked off this thing. Like I'm going to be totally different, you know? Um, so yeah, yeah. Same, same deal. Was there sort of things you, I don't know, I, I, I've, I haven't been in a professional locker room, but was there talk where you're like, ah, I don't want to be these guys or, or, oh, yeah. or, or the, yeah. 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 Totally. It's brutal. I get uh, the jocks that beat you up. These are like the, like 10 times that <laughs> like, you know, I mean, they were obviously nice people, but like adult be like, I saw a really great, um, pitcher, uh, like get pulled out of a game and then burn his Jersey in the, in like the hallway out behind the dug, like, just like, and fighting and just, just total madness, you know, like, um, drug use, like, you know, there's like back in the nineties, this, you know, that part of it, I kind of, I kind of, uh, I didn't condemn quite, quite as hard, but, <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, I saw, yeah, I saw a lot of, a lot of really childish behavior from, from adults. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've like, for some reason I've been thinking about it lately, just the things I heard said to me as a kid without like adults, like I'm like, like racist jokes and just weird shit about women. And I'm just like, it's amazing. I'm not a, total nightmare <laughs> it's like yeah. how somehow i had the conscious and i feel maybe you were the, like the consciousness to be like i didn't know what was wrong but i knew something wasn't right and i knew i didn't want to be a part of that yeah for sure yeah so you yeah you started playing music like when you were like I, I, and 17 17 that's pretty late right super late yeah yeah did you yeah do- i feel it all the time the last drummer that i had in my band started playing at the same time that i did and he was he was three <laughs> <laughs> so we had been playing playing music for the same stretch of time um but yeah he was three years old uh, <laughs> when he started <laughs> yeah yeah that's cr- yeah i started i started late but i loved it and wanted it i wanted to to be good at it you know um yeah I worked hard at it. Who were some, cause well, I listen to your music and I hear a lot of different, you know, which is, which, what I love about it is you can't go, Oh, it sounds like this, that, and this, which is to me yeah. rare and, uh, an, an achievement of its own where you just like, you guys have your definitely your own sound. I can't, I can't go like, Oh, they sound like credence. <laughs> yeah. But I was curious yeah. what, that's a good one. I kind of so yeah. This deep into our career, I wish we would have started in in like that credence. Let's do the credence meet, meets the Minutemen kind of thing, and like stick with that. Um, but yeah, you know, I we <clears throat> the group started as a trio um, with uh, my my first drummer and I were we were really really close, um, and we found Steve and the, the, the bass player. Um, and the things that we like to get, like, we really like this XTC record Dukes of like the Dukes of stratosphere, 25 o'clock where they kind of pretended to be a bunch of different bands from the sixties. Um, and, uh, there's a, the turtles had a record called the battle of the bands, um, that, that we all really liked. So we kind of, 
we're just trying to make a record like 25 o'clock, you know, when, when we started, which was just like basically like musical costume kind of thing. Um, and you know, we all kind of had different, different backgrounds. I definitely liked like R and B and folk music and the drummer was a jazz drummer and bass player, uh, kind of came from that like Minutemen SST records. So, like we had a lot of overlap and interests, but like those two records were things that we talked about a lot. Like let's present this kind of, you know, uh, almost sarcastic, like kind of comedy variety band kind of thing, you know, um, which is, you know, we still kind of dip into that mode sometimes. I didn't mean when you first started getting into punk, I meant to ask about that when you first brought it up, like you started your first punk band. What was that in the vein of, and like who were some of the punk bands that were influencing you? This is the white denim is the first punk. Oh, the, white denim, the first band that I really had. Yeah. This is the first band that I started. So I, I, I went to, went to college, uh, with the idea that I'm going to get good enough to play with this drummer. Um, and when I moved to Austin, that drummer and I started this group and we, we found Steve at a, we kind of looked at like what was happening in Austin. Everybody was like kind of trying to, you know, sound like the Smiths or, or something like that. Like it was like the killers were really big on the radio. So people were wearing like one little bit of paint on their face, kind of like, um, and like, uh, there was, there was a band in town that wore white denim and our, our band name was kind of like a jab at them at first, you know, like we were like, there aren't really, um, good antagonistic punk bands in this town right now. Like that's the kind of group that we should start, you know, um, what's the shittiest thing that we can call ourselves like white denim, like <laughs> based on, <laughs> so, you know, maybe still a little of that, like jock residue was present. Um, in our, in our approach to, uh, to like conquering Austin or what, or whatever our thinking was at that time. But, but yeah, this is the first, first time I've had a band, you know, like 17 years later, um, still, still trying to figure out what it is, you know? Do you feel like that? It's still like this exploration of defining what it is. And is there... With that, is there like a def self def definition going on, like you as an individual and you as an artist individually? For sure, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Each each record, I mean, it's kind of a tricky thing, you know. Like I, I'm the I, I I write the songs for the most part, you know. Um, but all the musicians have I I respect players, you know. Like um, you know, it's created super confusing business and creative situations for the band, you know, um, you know, which I won't go too much into, but it's, it's like a player focused band kind of like, um, that also is an outlet for my feelings, you know, or <laughs> things that I'm learning or thinking about. So kind of, <laughs> there's this rub there, you know, like, uh, what what is this what is this group you know uh i'm constantly trying to figure out what it is and regretting that we called it white denim like <laughs> now that i'm you know like it, it, a band name doesn't really matter but like that is definitely in the mix i'm like oh white denim like such a joke it has no no real meaning to me you know yeah um, well if it makes you feel yeah. better i hate the title of my show and i, I you do yeah I, I mean i came up with it eight years ago and i was just i'm always been 
like just and I was like, fine, it's this. And then ever since I was like, can I change it? I took out, out my first name. So I changed it from Do you have Okay. Yeah. But at first it was both? Yeah. So I yeah. I tried to shrink it a little. Do you have a, a list of alternatives? Uh no. That's one that we one thing we've had like a, a running list of alternatives to our band name that, that we add add to every time we're stuck in the van. Uh, we have which is a lot so we i mean there i think there must be a thousand alternative band names that we've thought of is there one Um, that you would like to like you're like oh fuck i wish we could be like blue suede i did that's the worst band (laughs) there's never never, that's how it always like there's not an alternative it's they're all terrible um there's some particularly funny ones um or that I think are funny, like don't, don't Ritos, I think is like really, uh, uh, you know, or like Canseco meat was another one that I thought was pretty funny or, um, just really bad. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole, whole list. I'll, I'll send it to you and you can tell me what's funny or not. I don't really, I'm trying to, I'm, I started doing uh, I got hired to make a bunch of Instagram reels recently and, uh, you know, uh, like, I guess they're trying to get people to use the, the, that feature on Instagram and I lucked into producing some of them. <laughs> for, That's great. It's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm really having fun, but I'm, I'm trying to be funny in them. <laughs> and like, it's kind of a, kind of a new, new thing to try and try and be funny publicly. Is that what those uh, videos were where you were sweeping, sweeping, clutter on top yeah. of record and uh there that's why is that funny i don't I even thought it was know funny but i also thought it was because because uh, it's trolling for sure yeah because i think people like see you doing anything to a beatles record they're like what the f-? like yeah well that's kind of the idea you know but <laughs> I, I, <guess. laughs> like, I think it's funny <laughs> i thought it was funny too. and the like, falling but down people with- were really upset people i mean i lost like 200 followers yesterday or something like that. Yeah. I've never really done social media until this, until this job. Like this is kind of my, my, uh, my reason to, to do it, you know? Uh, and I, I love it. I'm hooked. Um, I thought, yeah, that in the instant where you're falling with a bunch of tambourines or whatever. Yeah. I watched that like a number of times in a row. Cause I, I don't know what it was, but I was mesmerized. You kind of want to hear music in it, in a way, you know? Yeah. I think... And it's like, is that funny, too? Like, I don't know. Um, like, falling down is, is still funny, right? Or is that is that that's considered, like... No, I always, I always think falling down is funny. I do, too. I fall down all the time for my kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. There's always, a bunch of their percussion instruments in that... In that uh, and that I'm just cleaning up after them. And that's when it hit me. Like I could, I could do something funny with this. Yeah. yeah. I think if you're just, if it amuses you, then do it. And don't, I think if you start overthinking it, then it's probably not going to be funny. It's not going to be funny. But if you're amused cool. by it, then just do it. Okay. That's good advice. Yeah. Cause I, I, and I loved that people didn't know how to take the sweeping up on a Beatles record. Yeah, I'm not sure I know how to take it, but I, I really just don't have a dustpan in my studio. Uh, and one, and I used the first record that I looked through that stack, and I was like, well, why do I have a Tchaikovsky record? I'll just use that. And then I thought it looked funny to, to sweep on, on, uh, onto the Tchaikovsky record, and I thought, like, what else would, 
would be what else is in the stack really i didn't really uh try that hard to make that that uh that video obviously uh. i had a job interview <laughs> once and then i was asked beetles or stones and i i i said stones because i knew why they were like a beatles fan wouldn't ask that i don't think in a job interview. like it was just a dumb restaurant no. job like at a pseudo punk restaurant and i was like stones oh. yeah i think i would probably say stones too but i you know the truth would be the beatles for me um but the stones feels like the the edgy choice right yeah like uh, the same same logic like if someone is asking you that they want you to say stones and as i got older i listened to the kinks and zombies more than either yeah of course yeah yeah man the kinks the zombies yeah <laughs> intimidating shit man i did a um i've been thinking i did this uh uh last year I did a session session singing job, which I've, I've never really done. Like I always, I identify as like a guitar player and, and started singing <clears throat> because nobody else wanted to do it in, in the group. And, um, I'd had some successes at, at karaoke nights that, um, <laughs> that were, uh, like my proudest, my uh, still, I like, I'm thinking about going back into the world and playing out and what, what, what that looks like for me moving forward and I've, I've been like taking inventory on like what are the best things that that have happened and I still return to this time that I did um this is it uh the uh, Michael McDonald Kenny Loggins at a at this Mexican restaurant here called Baby Acapulco um which is a horrible uh, like local, local, uh, Tex-Mex chain, but they have, you know, like the fishbowl margarita kind of thing. Yeah. People were eating like chips and, and drinking margaritas. And I did the, I did that tune and I got a standing ovation and, uh, uh, which was incredible. So that's a really happy moment for me. Um, it probably gave me, gave me, um, confidence to, to sing in a band. But when I think about going forward, it's like, well, I'm always really stressed out about what people think about the quality of my, my guitar playing. Like, what if I just hired great players and just sang and made it like karaoke, you know, and I, I take the solos that, that I want to take, you know, <laughs> don't worry about the gear. <laughs> like I'm always worried about all the gadgets in front of me. It takes me out of being able to enjoy a show you know um so yeah that's that's one that's one thing that's on the table for me right now is, is uh just cha changing changing the lineup of my group so I, I don't have to play an instrument <laughs> outside of the studio do you think that within that you'll find inspiration maybe like i mean i guess that's the whole point i do you know like this this whole year um you know like i haven't been able to um to have a band together. Um, so I've, uh, but I, but I've produced some things like I've been engineering and, and producing, um, you know, so it's like a scramble to continue to earn a living. Um, so yeah, I've been really thinking about what I dislike about all of my experience in, in music and, and what I, you know, trying to remove those things. Um, I've had some really amazing moments like, just offering like a little bit of a, uh, an alternative to in somebody's songwriting or their part writing or whatever. Um, 
and that landing and making a difference and seeing them like really inspired by that contribution. It's like, well, that's what I really like. I like editing and like helping people arrange and like messing with textures and, and things like that. Um, I don't really love leading a band, you know, it's, uh, it's difficult, you know? Um, yeah, so I'm I'm trying to think about how I can remove some of those things and learn to enjoy leading a band. Like, and maybe if I take the guitar out of my hand and and just kind of focus on the things that I really enjoy, um, that I, I might be happier in in my work. You know, do you ever think about scrapping it and starting from scratch again, like just something completely different? Or I solely? think about that. I think about that all the time. Um, yeah, but I, you know, um, my children and like the, like the brand, uh, recognizability or what, you know, like, uh, at least in the UK is way too valuable to just like, you know, leave in the, in, you know, in, in the, in the rear view com- completely, you know, um, but yeah, that's another thing that I've been really wrestling with. Cause I've had, I've had like six drummers, um, really in the past, like five years, um, like a bunch of different keyboard players. So the personnel shifts so much and I've always kind of written the songs and like, we've been able to kind of like cruise, cruise by and like keep it going. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm like, you know, it makes a difference. Like I did, I did like a solo tour. Um, I started at the time I did a record under the name Bop English and, um, it was a disaster. Like the, the label didn't want me to do it. So they were, they weren't really behind it. Um, and I didn't really want to go back to like sleeping on floors. So I like maxed out two credit cards, like on one tour, like pretending that the band was more, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I just like, it was a disaster. So I'm, I'm, there's a lot of incentive for me to just like kind of rationalize, continue to rationalize like the, what the band is and just keep it called, fucking blanked him. <laughs> you know, like. yeah. Dave Bazan did the headphones like a, and I, which I love that's the, what, how do I know that name Dave Is Bazan was in the lion yeah and then he okay. did yeah. he was solo and then he did headphones and I was like we were kind of buddies and I was like, why didn't you do another headphones album? It was great. And he's like, no one fucking cared. And he's like, I yeah. can't, he's got kids too. And he's like, I can't, I can't, I can't. It's Pedro pick. the lion for me. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, yeah. Just... And he brought back Pedro too. So it's like, and it's, I know it's not like it used to be. You can't, you gotta, he, he's gotta be on the road constantly. Yeah. I, I can't, I don't want to do that. man. And there are people like, or my, my agent, like that's the worst guy to be right now in the music industry is a, is a booking agent, honestly. Um, so I, they're like sweating, sweating, like, you know, what's, what's going to happen when, so I'm kind of like sitting on, sitting on it as long as possible, trying to figure out what, what I'm going to (laughs) do. Has being home for a year changed your, cause I, a lot of the stuff I read, you were like, you like going out on the road, you like doing the live shows. And I was wondering if that has changed. Cause I mean, you spent, I've, I've actually always had a pretty strong dislike for, for touring. Um, 
so I, I don't, you know, we've toured a lot because I kind of thought that that was the only way for me to have a career in, in music. Um, so I've, I've toured like, you know, like 150 shows a year for a decade, you know? Um, and I kind of, I kind of don't like it that, that much. Um, especially like touring the Midwest, no offense, but like, if I have to fucking play <laughs> St. Louis or yeah, but a lot of good people do, uh, like St. Louis or, um, I mean, how do that's, I just pulled a classic, no offense, <laughs> great people there, but the place fucking sucks. St. Louis, yikes. Or, uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Oh, oh my God. Club. I'm sure there's a great room there, but I have not played one. Um, I just can't stand that. Like, shit at 40 years old or even at 30 i was already i was like over over the hummus and uh you know fucking carrots and like (laughs) and audiences too man i mean i can't like i i you know yeah i don't i don't love i don't love uh, like the guys that hang around and talk about like you know, you're my greatest supporters or whatever that like are hanging around the merch table and they, they want to tell me like, Oh, you know, like, uh, you know, your last drummer was better. This, this record's your best one or whatever kind of situation. It's just like, I don't know if I could handle that. I don't get <laughs> I, yeah, there's a, like, cause I did a lot of road shit in my twenties and it's like, you just like in your twenties, you're like, fuck yeah, I'm doing it. And it's fun. And you're getting loaded. But like now, if people, t- I'm like, I don't want to, f- I don't give a fuck what you have to say. Like, it's yeah. not, it's not, and it's not being arrogant of like, I don't care about my fans. Not that I'm like Johnny Fan Town, but like, it's like, but it's like, <laughs> you're being a dick by saying that. Like, that's yeah. just not socially the, acceptable. It's not cool. Like, what is it? David Cross had, had the line, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't come to your office line or whatever. Yeah. Do you know that one? I'm not going to repeat it because I'm, I don't. Uh, uh, not, yeah. but I love David Cross. Yeah, he had a good good bit about that. Yeah, it's uh, early on. You said uh, that your songs were a means of you to express your emotions, and I was curious to like, were you able to express your emotions as a kid, or was there sort of that? Because I feel like absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, no way, no way. It was so crazy for me that I would like, you know, when I would strike out, I would have a complete breakdown, like become over overwhelmed. Like I was able, yeah, it was not a expressing anything. Um, yeah, for, for, uh, one member of my family in particular, uh, like outrageous, uh, childish outbursts of anger and things like that was really common, but the rest of us (laughs) were kind of (laughs) trying to just keep it in and, and get by. (laughs) Um, so yeah, like I, I, I have, I still really struggle with, with like being direct, like, and, um, you know, just, yeah, keeping it, keeping it together. You know, I'm, I'm definitely prone to a different, different sort of outburst as a result of, you know, that, uh, that training, you know? Yeah. Did you, did you find solace in being able to vent that or channel that into music? Absolutely. Like I definitely took to, um, loud rock and roll punk band energy, like much faster than like that. It was a natural, natural thing for me. You know, I, I wanted to be like, uh, um, 
when I moved to Austin, I was really into like T-Rex, like the, especially like the Tyrannosaurus Rex records, like the folky ones and like Devendra Banhart, like the freak folk thing. Like that's kind of what I thought I would do. Um, but yeah, the, the loud, loud playing and, and screaming was definitely uh, a good, good thing for me. For I, sure. Do you, can you relate to that music still? Or are you, cause I, I used to listen to a lot of fucking angry shit like ministries yeah. one album i was <laughs> yeah like, it man. was so fast and loud and it like spoke to me and now i'm like that's gonna give me a nervous yeah. breakdown totally yeah i i kind of like uh the engineer that that uh the engineer producer partner that i that i have is uh he's an industrial guy um so like he kind of came up he, i think he's like 10 15 years older than me but he was in an industrial band called screw that um, some of the guys that later ended up in ministry were were in in a band with him, um, and the way that he uses a lot of those like industrial production techniques is definitely rubbed off on on the way that I make records. And um, so I kind of have a soft spot for some of the, especially the industrial stuff. Um, but yeah, I you know I still really like screamers, man like especially like blues uh and like r&b or gospel like i like blood and guts singing oh for i sure. love that too i just like the yeah. fast hard shit i have to be in a specific mood and i can't listen to it all day like when i was 20 oh, yeah. i was just no that's way. all i listened to and now i'm like i can't maybe it's because of kids <laughs> I don't, like, yeah there's probably my ears hurt too man like i i don't yeah and shit, a lot of that music that was recorded in the '90s sounds like dog shit. Yeah, some of it's great, but some of it's not. Like Jim's band Screw, uh, I love the guy; he's a brilliant engineer. But the records sound like dog shit. But what's cool is like, you know, they would tune radios to white noise and like stack that, and that's how they'd get a snare drum. You know, like they would, you know, do they? They had all these cool tricks that were new at the time that that um i'm sure people are still doing things like that but like there was this whole you know approach to making sound that 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 was pretty fresh you know in the in the industrial world yeah when you because i've read that you've come up with the music first and the lyrics later as uh when you do you still do that you know i know and that's that's not a I don't know who did that interview. Um, <laughs> I, this is one of the fucking frustrating things about having a, a band. It's like, oh, you take that one. And then it, it's like, what? Like, what did you say in that interview? Like, that does not represent us at all. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, not the first time that uh, I've like brought something up. Or, and I like, well, because I'll cut and paste shit and put it in a document. So I, because I, I don't want to yeah. fuck it up. But there's a people will be like, I don't remember saying that. And it's so common. And, yeah, and it's not me being because I'm really uptight about like I don't want to go in and not like represent it and or, I don't want you to bring something up and be like I don't I don't know what that is. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I'm sorry to have to do that. Um, it's I'd say it's probably um, half, it's less than half of the tunes have been made that way. Um, there's always you know, the way that, the way that like money is split, unfortunately, like informs, has informed like a lot of creative decision-making inside of my group. You know, like if I, if I love the way a certain musician 
uh, well, basically, uh, the, like my first partner in the group um, came up at UNT. Um, his mom was a musician, so he came up in this culture of like, you know, he's a drummer. Drummers don't normally get songwriting points, and like, you know, um, that sucks. Like, there's a lot of cla- you know, like a lot of stories that that you hear. It's like, well, that's not fair. You know, like that's the foundation for the entire genre of hip hop and like the funky drummer didn't, you know, like you get it, like, uh, you know what I'm getting at? Yeah. So, um, that attitude, my way of, uh, like trying to is, is writing together as a, as a band, um, which honestly is like the most frustrating fucking thing that I've ever done. <laughs> it's <laughs> sitting in a room with like a virtuosic, musician that just does not give a shit about the lyrical content or whatever. And you're just like, well, this is songwriting, you know, like we all have to kind of like, you know, if I tell you to, to like swing in this, you can, you, you then have the ability to tell me not to use this preposition or whatever, like, and it's just confusing. And, um, it's led to some really cool music and then it's led to some music that I'm, kind of on the fence about i'm like well what does this what does this mean you know what is it uh like there's there's always something a little bit weird about it when when um at least like first position chords and like a basic melody and a lyric structure isn't isn't present um and as a producer when when i when i i've been working with a bunch of bands that are writing in the studio and it's crazy it's really crazy to me um, just, uh, moving through, cause I have a lot of keyboards, um, and a lot of, a lot of guitars and a lot of amplifiers and things like that. And, and people will, uh, not have a part to put on the record and I'll have to like move, uh, like five or six amplifiers around, um, <laughs> like, <laughs> just like right apart with the fucking, I gotta like show you all the shit that I have in here. Um, right, right apart with, um, with what you have right now. And then we'll decide what the sound should be. You know, um, I, I like writing before, before we, before you start recording, that you know, seems to me to be writing in studio, unless you're like, the Rolling Stones where you have gobs of money where they, where, I don't know where they went to the South of France for like two years and wrote an album. It's like, yeah. which sounds awesome. <laughs> but it's like, I'm sure it was so fun and the record's incredible. And if you have those kinds of resources, that's great. And if you like being around each other, even better, you know, um, but, but it's not practical. And, and the older I get with, with kids and, and all that kind of shit, I'm just like, man, I just don't have time to, to like, you know, massage a, a part out of, you know, like, I don't know. Well, especially with like, st- if the studio, like for you, you, it's your studio. So you could take all the time you want. If you're paying for the studio, do you really want to be going in half-assed? So many people do. Is that just like the pressure or that, uh, I don't know if that, like if it, I was going to say myth, but like, you know, I only can work under pressure. It's like, then maybe you're just not disciplined. <laughs> yeah. Like that's absolutely, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think that there, you know, there are a couple of producers, like at least in, in my genre, whatever, you know, like the guy, the Tame Impala guy, Kevin Parker, um, and then the Ruben Nielsen guys, Unknown Mortal Orchestra, like they're like 
one guy making amazing work in the studio by himself. Like it's all, you can tell that it's very layered and it's all kind of taking place in that space. Um, I think that people think that that's attainable. (laughs) 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 Which, I mean, I guess in some ways it obviously is, but you know, the, uh, yeah, like, yeah, the, the Tame Impala influence in the clients that, that I get is, 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 uh, is, um, is fun to, it's funny sometimes to, to like run up against it. Um, but yeah, anyway. Yeah. I guess, I mean, too, if with, I don't know, like if you're producing somebody younger, is there still that, like them trying to figure out, I think when you're young, a lot of times you're emulating, and do you have yeah. to deal with that a lot where you're like... Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Do you yeah. call it out or do you just be like, it, I, I don't know. I'm always interested. In- well, calling things... You know, I've, I've really only been producing records in earnest like a, as, a, as a job for a year in pandemic. So I'm, I'm like figuring it out. Like I've, I've had a couple of moments with sessions or with, with clients where I'll be pushing on something um, and we'll just have a full meltdown, like crying, like some, especially during vocal takes, like, um, it's the hardest thing. Like people are really vulnerable in that moment and like trying to get them to relax or to not. And a lot of people feel like they have to like really show up to, to sing on a, on a record, you know, like, and they, they do this, like, um, whatever it is that they do to that, that makes them feel like worthy or, or strong or whatever to, I, I don't, I don't know the psychology of that only, only through my own process, but yeah. Um, pushing on people in that way as a producer is really tricky, man. Like I have a newfound respect for all the people that, that I've worked with in the past as, as producer, I've even sent an apology to, to, uh, to a producer that I've worked with. <laughs> <laughs> just like hey man i I get it now i'm really sorry uh you know like (laughs) it's it's tricky man people have a lot on the line especially when they get in front of that microphone you know like you want to you know you want to make a good record and but i don't know i'm kind of leaning towards just like letting things happen like albini famously is like a hands-off producer you know um, and I wonder what that really looks like. Like, I feel like I need to go up there and cut with him for, for a week just to f- find out like what the, what the deal is, you know? Yeah. The dude, uh, Dylan from cloud nothings talked a little bit about his w- working with him. Cause he's worked with him twice. And it's just like, mm-hmm. I was like, what does and he's just like, he'll make the smallest of like, it'll just be like, but it, he'll only like suggest technical things like let's bump up the volume on this or level or whatever and he was like and it will make the hugest difference but that's what from what i gather is about all he i don't think he's like and put in a cello like i don't think he does that shit is having worked now producing albums has that affected the way you're going in because you've been recording correct and you have a single coming out oh yes yeah i have a i have a record coming out Uh it's a it's a single but it's a full record like we're we're i'm trying to like figure out ways to like buck the system or whatever and add value to the record itself so uh we're only going to release two tunes digitally but when people get the record 
they'll soon realize that it's a full length. It's another full length. Um, so I'm hoping that that creates like some kind of interest in, in, the, in the project. <laughs> you know? Like, I feel like I've recorded so much music that like, you know, I, I got to retain, you know, like I got to do things like that, like gimmicky things like that to, uh, um, to get people to buy albums, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a good record. I'm really proud of it, man. It's, uh, it's, this record was, uh, aside from one song, it was, um, all written like in the room with the band. It was like pulling teeth. So uh, I'm, uh, I ended up finishing it uh, over uh, like the, like a month in pandemic on my own. Um, but, yeah, for the most part, it's a it's a band record in like the truest sense. The most band record that we've ever ever made, really. Did your working as a producer affect any of the approach? Like, change your perspective how how to approach your own album? Most of that work uh, took place in 2019 for the record that's coming out um, soon. So, it definitely um, informed. I'm, I'm learning all the time, you know, without the experience of, of making that record and, and like sitting down with the band, which at that time included like basically one complete stranger who had just joined the band. Um, and then a, another guy that I kind of barely knew, um, like just brought in cause they're killer musicians. Um, yeah, like I, I, you know, I'm every time I sit down with another player with a different set of skills, uh, and try and make something. I kind of, I kind of learn, learn a little bit more about, about what, what to do, maybe, <laughs> you know, what to maybe try. <laughs> Is that, that's gotta be, I don't know. That's interesting to me to work with a guy that like complete stranger coming into a, you know, a band that's been around for a while. Like, yeah. Uh, on both sides of that's got to be intro or is it just like you have that musical language and it doesn't fucking matter that's kind of the goal but inevitably like especially when you're writing um and talking about words and and uh and parts and and, and things like um yeah everybody has a different different level of interest in that aspect I, most young people um especially right out of like jazz training are are it's kind of a competitive environment. It's kind of like the sports of, of music, you know? Um, so there's some, there's some, uh, real world learning things that need to take place there, I guess is the, um, is the nicest way to, you know, like kind of hint at where you can probably tell what's underneath that. Um, yeah. You know, it's weird. I don't know that I'll ever do it again. I, 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 the bass player and I both have kids. I, I, that's kind of a requisite to me in this moment right now. Like, if I'm going to play with somebody, like, they have to have lived a little. Like, I don't really want to be in in a in a partnership with people that are like in completely different places in life. You know, um, like I'm kind of valuing that. Uh, uh, you know, like at least at least over 35 and not a drug abuser uh, <laughs> kind of situation is what I'm looking for in musical partnerships from now on. Yeah. I've always, you, and I overheard this in a coffee shop, like a couple of years ago, some guys just like, man, marriage and kids is death. It's creative death. And I was like, I think I just had my kid, my yeah. first one. And I, I, but I was like, 
so you don't want to change your perspectives and have different experience. Like that's what that says to me. And it's like my emotional depth and perspective on life and empathy has changed so drastically since I have had kids that I'm like, you, how would you not be a better artist? I'm just a little bit more tired. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. You're more tired and you're less likely to be out on the fucking scene or whatever, you know, like whatever that, you know, like wearing a costume at the club each night of the week, like, um, you know, like that's really all that is. That guy probably had like a, fucking stupid hat on <laughs> and said that <laughs> but I like uh, you know what I'm talking one of these one of oh. these things oh yeah 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 especially I mean yeah. it's probably everywhere it's just like you know I just it's that's the other thing is like becoming a parent I was like well I definitely don't dress not that I ever was like cool dressing guy but it's yeah. like now it's just like I have comfortable shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's just, I think they nailed it when you, uh, we're talking about like emotional depth and ability to, to like recognize other people's feelings and those like, um, yeah, just, you know, the older you get, like the, hopefully the better you are at like, talking and realizing, you know, like, (laughs) yeah. And I've learned things. My daughter is so optimistic and like joyous about everything where I'm like, I need, she's, I'm like, I want to be like you and you're five. Like, like if you ask her how she is or how something is, the answer is always great. And I'm like me, I'm like, ah, fuck. I don't know. Like my my back hurts. My neck hurts. It's like, (laughs) yeah. I'm like, I want to be that exuberant. That's something that I've really been uh, like kind of trying to ditch as a result of my beautiful, optimistic daughter as well. Just like, how is she so positive all the time? And like, you know, people are like, how's, how's it going? And the first thing that I go to is like, well, my fucking preamps don't work. And, my, you know, my like, I, I always have some kind of grievance before, but I'm OK. Like, yeah, really, I, I would love to to get to a place where. You know, I'm at like my default in communication is like, you know, start leading with the positive at the very least. (laughs) Getting better at that because I'm like, but it's still the first thought I have where I'm like, but I'm like, you can't do that. Because I notice a lot of times like people, like the people that work a lot in like my field and stuff are the excited, positive guys. And often I'm like, you're full of shit. And I'm (laughs) (laughs) like, I do often think they're full of shit, but it's like, it's probably, but that's more, probably still more attractive than the guy who was like, this fucking stuff sucks. Like the fact that I'm still in the game sort of right now is I feel so lucky to be able to come here and work, even if it is on like records that I'm not completely wild about or with clients that you know, or asking me to do things that don't make sense. Um, I still am psyched about it, you know? Yeah. Did you think as a young man or a younger man, cause I'd still consider you a young man, but did, would you, would that, would you be able to do that as much? Or was that like a perspective thing where you're like, I really don't know. Like if, if in, in my days when I was driving a truck, if I, knew that doing what I'm doing now was a possibility, I would have been thrilled. Um, 
But as soon as our band started to get um, noticed, like especially in the UK, like there was a lot of, you know, like we became, you know, kind of cult famous there. Um, that really went to my head in ways that I didn't, that I wasn't really, that it probably prohibited me from having like more success in America, you know? Um, so I don't, I don't, I think that back then I would have been very glad to have this work, you know, this would have been a dream. Um, but yeah, the first six months of doing it, I was like, <laughs> I was hating it. I was, you know, I wanted to be that bartender on sessions, you know, Oh, that's your idea. Put another phaser on it. Ah. <laughs> like, get out. Yeah. Uh, their body report. You know, I worked with this producer one time that had done a bunch of stuff with Tom Jones. And we were, we were having that conversation about, you know, like, does anybody really like their shit? And he said that Tom Jones loves his shit. Like he will, he, he, you know, he's like the only singer that he's ever worked with. It's like, can you turn that vocal up? <laughs> like, can you like really accentuate? Like he, he, Tom Jones really feels everything that he records. He so. seems like, like he just seems like that kind of guy who's like, everything's fun. And I got a huge yeah. cock. Cause that's the word. Right. Like that's, <laughs> maybe <laughs> that's, that's part of it. That's man. the secret. I saw him, <laughs> I was like visiting New York and my buddy and I walked out of a bar and some homeless guy with a shopping cart comes up and goes, Tom Jones is across the street singing. And we're like, bullshit. But we're like, all right, let's, we got to look. And we walk into a small fucking bar, like with a little tiny back room. And Tom Jones is on fucking stage with some, like the house band or something. And there's maybe 10, yeah. 10 people there. And just <laughs> fucking, yeah. and we caught him like. And he sounded great. He was singing loud as hell. Clear as and a bell. Somebody said, he seemed like when he got off stage, he seemed drunk. But somebody was like, "He, I don't think that's true. He's sober, but he seemed pretty loaded." But the few women that were there, boom, stormed yeah. and like started grabbing yeah. his fucking balls and shit. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I think he was just so probably used to that. He was just like, "It's my life, being Tom Jones." <laughs> yeah, I guess with that kind of. Yeah, I mean, I uh, fuck. Who knows? Gotta gotta love that. Must be nice, right? And it was a great. I hope uh, if you guys tour, even though you hate it, I hope uh, I get to. Uh, <laughs> we will. All right, buddy. We will. Thank All you. Right. Take care. Bye. See you, man. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with the Wire. Please become a Patreon subscriber if you like. Also, subscribe to the show on your iTunes or what have you not, and tell your friends about the show. That would mean a lot to me. As well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or themattdwyer.com or Conversations with Dwyer at the Instagram, and you could learn more about the show, buy merch, and all those great things. Thank you very much for listening.